Hello everyone and welcome. Thanks for joining. This is your host Ram Ramasamy from Frost & Sullivan. I'm a Vice President and a Global Client Leader. And finally, this is kind of like the final installment of the series of fireside chats that uh, we've been doing with Intel Corporation. And as we say, we save the best for the last, right? And we do have Jonathan Luce today, who is a general manager for industrial, Intel's industrial solutions management. Um, he leads a lot of architecture uh, for the division within Intel and uh, a fellow automation enthusiast. So I think this, this topic is gonna to be really interesting. It's very close to my heart as well. Uh, the topic that we're gonna be discussing with Jonathan today is uh, design with foresight, the impact of fourth industrial revolution of 4IR and the new service business models. Welcome Jonathan and uh, glad to have you here. Um, just to set the stage on the topic, when we look into the industrial markets and even the energy markets for that matter, there is a significant pivot from what has been happening in the past 50 years, which is automation and automation networks to autonomy, which is the pivot um, to lights out factory, uh, more collaboration between artificial intelligence, machine learning with uh, humans, um, which, which will enable new levels of efficiency. So what I'm really showing in the chart now is three kinds of customer characterization. The first characterization is non-digitizers who are pretty much at the level zero one stage. So about 35% of the industry is situated at that position. Then we've got selective digitizers, which is the second type of characterization of customers where they would selectively look at functions that have the biggest ROI for digital initiatives. And then they would pursue that and implement solutions, proof of concept, scale it. And the scale will be, for example, in applications like predictive maintenance uh, as a use case. Then there's a third characterization of uh, customers, which we call as enterprise digitalizers. And they are the ones who are between level four and level six of uh, the, the pivot to autonomy, uh, where they have analytics, they have enterprise-wide initiatives, and uh, they understand the trade-off. Um, they have in-house digital teams. Uh, they know they, they do have access to the ecosystem of vendors uh, that they could, they would be working with. So with that context, Jonathan, I just want to move into the first question, which is, as I said earlier, um, the energy industry, the industrial market, which is manufacturing oriented like automotive, aerospace and defense, chemicals, uh, I'm sorry, uh, aerospace and defense and electronics and semiconductors. Uh, the, the past 50 years, they've been implementing automation systems, cells, factory automation systems. Uh, but the next 50 years is really going to be interesting, which is the journey towards autonomy. And that journey towards autonomy has its own pitfalls. We've been hearing a lot from customers that, you know, we, we have significant technology debt. So how do we pivot and what best practices can we follow? So uh, could you provide your thoughts on what you're seeing in the industry and how uh, you would recommend the steps that customers could take uh, in this journey forward? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I, it's uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I think, uh, you know, your data and the journey, um, if you asked me a couple of years ago, what's the pacing of some of this uh, adoption, I would have said it's going to take 10, 15 years plus to, to really get the industry to move towards this next industrial revolution. Um, with the pandemic, I think that uncovered and awakened a lot of people relative to the opportunities of what has to happen, probably at a faster rate, just because of the nature of what was going on the last couple of years. 
Um, you had um, non-essential workers removed from the, the manufacturing environment, yet they needed to um, be able to solve problems like uh, do remote monitoring versus things they were doing on site and focusing on uh, how to become uh, and do safe, efficient operations within that um, within that pandemic environment. And it really opened up uh, people's eyes about saying, hey, the data and the sensor information doesn't have to be exactly on site to be productive. We've got to figure out new ways of managing operations, uh, both locally and remotely. And I think that accelerated that awareness of the operating environment and the IT environment, the OT-IT blending uh, really got accelerated. And, and we did a couple of surveys inside of Intel uh, with the top manufacturers around the world, uh, interviewed about 500 companies. And um, uh, a few years ago, when the pandemic started, uh, about 60% of them were saying, hey, I'm pretty confident about this industry 4.0 and uh, 4IR type transformation that's happening of they were confident not just surviving, but thriving in that environment. So it was a relatively low percentage, right? There was a lot of companies out there saying, hey, uh, this is kind of a fearful type situation. It's a lot of change and I'm not sure if I'm ready for it yet. Um, the pandemic was a cause for awareness and education for them because we came back last year and said, well, how are you doing now relative to your thoughts around, let's call it the next normal? Um, about 82% of them said, hey, now I feel good. I feel confident that we're going to be able to adapt and get into this. So so on your graph, I would say, you know, from L0 to L6, um, companies are now feeling more, much more confident about taking that leap and thinking about the future and, and executing that transformation. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, in terms of um, how we see that our skills issue within the energy and industrial market, they, like I said before, the sunk technology investments that they're looking to modernize, but at a shoestring of a budget uh, because they don't really have firm belief on the returns. Uh, but like you said, the pandemic has driven the transformation journey on steroids. Um, and there are many vendors and solution providers that offer uh, these solutions. And I've interacted with a lot of customers who say every day they get um, they get requests for pitches from solution providers to help them with this journey. But more importantly, there is there is kind of like a belief within Boston Sullivan that we formed after attending the Intel Vision Summit. It really opened our eyes to see that how the enabling software layer of Intel is uh, uh, driving and playing in the space of movement of data with speed and precision. So I'm, I'm curious to understand a little bit more since you run solutions management within Intel, uh, how do you see Intel's role in this customer journey towards autonomy? What tool sets, what solutions are you bringing to the table that help streamline the journey for the customer? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, that autonomy, I think that point you made is all about the data, right? And and how you act on or assess and determine which data is relevant, right? I mean, the volume of data is just a huge thing and the timeliness of being able to act on that is a, is a key part of the conversation, right? So if we start with just sort of the data conversation first, manufacturing generates petabytes of data a day, usually less than 1% of it is actually acted on, right? And so the first order of business is figuring out, okay, what do you need to go do? What business problems are you trying to solve? What operational problems are you trying to solve? Uh, 
within the factory in the manufacturing environment. And then understanding that from a solutions objective point of view is the starting point, right? And that's when conversations like how does analytics and inference help assess that data? How do the solutions come in? And knowing what you want to go do, whether it's quality control or uh, production efficiency or um, uh, predictive maintenance, right? I mean, you could do all kinds of different things with the data. It starts with the solution mindset. And, and you know, Intel, uh, we're known for our chips, right? Obviously, our, our processors are front and first and foremost between Atom, Core, and Xeon and our, our vision processors uh, and other accelerators. But in reality, the focus of what we do when we have conversations with end, end customers, end users, manufacturing plants, really is about the comprehensive solution and then works its way back to the technology, right? And, um, you know, take, uh, you know, take a defect detection type conversation around moving quality control in line, right? You know, where you want to make changes in line and not have to rework or, or scrap things down, downfield from that. The solution conversation of that is a processor, it's hardware, it's, it's software, it's tools that all make a difference. So part of what we invest in a good amount of our attention is around, let's call it reference implementations and market ready solutions, which gives examples of configured applications, uh, both with Intel components, as well as ecosystem components and partner components to give confidence to customers to say, okay, if I'm trying to go automate this in my plant and I've never started, give me a recipe or a series of recipes on how to get started. And that's a, a confidence builder and an accelerator to get to market. And then the second major aspect of this is you've got to have the right tools uh, built for the customers to, to act on. Uh, that's from a developer point of view as well as an end user point of view. If you want to take care of advanced technologies such as analytics, you got to have solid tools that allow you to adapt, train, and do the inference and make adjustments along the way. And so what I look at it is we spend a lot of time making these very complex tools very simple to use. And what we find is that formula helps quite a bit with the confidence and adoption for companies that may not be familiar with AI or, or maybe implementing their first AI solution itself. I think that's a great point that you mentioned, Jonathan, which is um, simplifying the solution landscape so that it's easy to use for the customers because that's important and that's very key uh, because the buy-in from the people within these segments is extremely uh, valuable, and that should help in streamlining of the journey. So thank you for sharing that very important best practices uh, from your side. Uh, I would like to pick on a couple of applications that you mentioned, like quality management, defect recognition. So I would like to understand a, a few examples where Intel's implemented solutions in a live way with a customer in a customer side uh, if you can correlate that with where they were in the journey before and then what solutions they implemented with intel and how are they pivoting from what they were doing before to uh, the autonomy stage um, so if you could walk through a few examples that will help our audience also correlate understand and then possibly act moving forward in a meaningful way yeah, I'll, I'll give you kind of a journey of how, how Intel learns and the end users learn simultaneously together, right? Uh, and I'd start with an engagement we had a few years ago. One of their plants, they would produce about a thousand cars a day and they needed to do spot welding uh, defect detection. Uh, and their 
historical approach would have been to pull one car off the line, inspect the 5,000 welds, and then uh, make assumptions about how the other 999 cars are going. They came to us and said, we would love to make that defect detection in line. Can you help us build some inference uh, and training and help us figure out how to do spot welding inference and quality controls on that? Long story short, we went and helped them through that. And, you know, instead of going through 5,000 welds a day with all 1,000 cars, now it's 5 million welds a day that they're in line and, and inspecting uh, the spot welding capability. That was all done with what I call time series data, right? Where you had electrical currents and the welding currents and everything that go there. And that had a significant reduction in uh, downstream rework that had to be done. So it was a very successful application of putting defect detection into the control cells of the automotion, automotive uh, plant itself uh, with a great success story. Um, a company who makes uh, uh, farming and agricultural equipment then contacted us and said, well, we have a similar robotics. We have 52 factories around their world and uh, we have the same situation. We'd like to get our automated robotics uh, welding uh, quality control up. And so they actually went through and said, but we have a, a, a thing that we spot for porosity, which is the microscopic holes that are air bubbles that are happening in a welding environment. Could you add some machine vision to our robotics and do visual inspection using cameras to detect these quality issues and, and, and reduce rework and scrap down the road? And uh, that was another case where we took the learnings from welding automation in the first generation and then applied machine vision to make the, uh, the automation and factory capabilities that much more flexible uh, that goes in there. And I think those are two examples of uh, when you put defect detection in an application environment with a very specific uh, challenge, uh, companies like Intel can come and help uh, solve those very technical problems uh, and, and really have a great output for it. So there's, I could go on and on with a bunch of different examples, but those would be two, I would say, around welding automation, for example, in a manufacturing line, which went from quality control uh, from an offline quality control to an inline quality control type example. And I think that is a major trend of what happens with, with companies with defect detection. They want to move it in line to the manufacturing and that, uh, that's a huge operational advantage for them. Thank you, Jonathan. I think, um, the main, the main aspect that, um, the audience and the people who are listening to this, uh, Farsight chat should understand is, you know, it can be as small as a application around quality and defect recognition, which is a pretty big issue in automotive because if it goes unnoticed, it gets into recall and the recall volumes and the amount of money that customers in the automotive industry have spent on uh, recall is phenomenal. And it's, it, and it's kind of like significant amounts of money. So starting with a clean slate of paper, looking at what technologies can be really used to help and drive efficiencies at scale that's really where we see Intel playing too. So thank you for sharing those uh, use cases. Uh, we'll wrap it uh, for this session. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us and uh, sharing your best practices, sharing the case studies, and uh, sharing the Intel's role in the pivot from automation to autonomy. Thank yeah, you. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.